Good morning. I'm, my name is Steve Harmon, if you don't know me, and uh, I am one of the elders here in the church, and I'm going to have the privilege of bringing God's Word uh, this morning. We're going to be looking at James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, and let's begin by starting with prayer. Father, uh, as we just sung about, uh, you are God who is, is great. You are God who is sovereign in all the things that you do. Your will cannot be thwarted. You choose things and they happen. You make decisions and they, they are done. We thank you for that kind of a God because it gives us confidence in, um, in just daily life, knowing that you are there, that you, are in, that you govern things. And so this morning as we look at your word, I pray that you wouldn't uh, just, that these wouldn't just be words, but that they would be uh, your words that would fall on teachable hearts. And we recognize that your spirit is the one who teaches and that we need to receive your words and then follow through and apply them to our lives. So give us a, a tenderness to what you would have to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, many of you may have heard the old saying that says, best, the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry. Have any of you ever heard that before? Yeah, a bunch of you have. If you're too young to know that one, uh, I'll explain it in just a minute. But that's a, that, as a kid growing up, I had never heard that particular uh, line before, that particular uh, saying. But it comes from a line uh, from a poem from Robert Burns that was written in the, eight, uh, the 1700s. And as a kid, I, I, you know, at the age of 10, I, didn't, I wasn't much into poetry, so I'd never heard it, and I'm still not into poetry. But I was kind of into things like building tree houses. And even though I didn't know the line, the best laid plans of mice and men line, I did experience the last part of that where it says, often go awry, which means that, in other words, that things don't always go the way that you think that they should, or maybe as you have planned. Let me give you an example from my, my passion of treehouse building when I was growing up. Start, I would oftentimes pick a tree, find a tree, get some two-by-fours, slap them on the side of the tree with nails, you know, and just go on up and get to a place up there where there's a perfect place to build a, a little treehouse or a fort up there. And I got, uh, I got th thinking one time when, when it was really hard in one of the tree houses, it was really hard to get these boards and nails and all the things up there, all my construction supplies. And so I had the brilliant idea that I was going to take a pulley and tie it up above, and I took some baling wire, that's what all farmers use is baling wire, and I tied this just above the area where I was to get all this, these supplies up there, got a rope and a bucket, and so I started hauling all my things up there. And I'd get my nails and hammers, saws, everything up there to get, get uh, this tree house started. And after I finished the tree house, I invited my brother, my little brother, to join me in a housewarming party. And I had this, uh, you know, the steps were a little bit too far that I put on the tree and he wasn't really acclimated in how to climb tree houses. So I thought, well, you know what? I've got a genius plan. I'm gonna use the pulley system to get him up there. And so I was up in the tree hanging onto the rope and I instructed him to hang onto the rope and I would, you know, pull him up there. Well, 
my father was standing not too far away, and he probably remembers. He's sitting right over here. I don't know if he remembers this story or not, but, but uh, I said, hey, Dad, watch this. Watch this. I'm, watch what I'm going to do. And before he had, he took notice, and before he had time to give his opinion on what was about to happen, I jumped, hanging onto the rope. I went down, my brother went up really fast. Now, there was one thing that I forgot to instruct my brother on, and that was don't hang on too high onto the rope. Because I got to the ground before, or no, he, he got to the pulley with his hands before I got to the ground. And as you might imagine, he let go of the, the rope real fast. And uh, I guess I probably miscalculated the weight difference, and that's why he went so fast. He was five years younger than I was. I was 10, he was five. And he came down teeth first. And it wasn't just smiling, I don't think. He wasn't smiling, but his teeth hit the ground, and fortunately they were baby teeth because he knocked out three or four teeth on that, that fall. But my plans obviously went awry. <clears throat> and um, it, it didn't happen exactly how I had, had anticipated that they were going to happen. Whereas we come to J James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, we're going to see in this illustration how plan making, the, the, actually James gives us a, an illustration of plan making, and how uh, they expose another area of self-centeredness that we often have in our lives. So as we, as we get ready to, to look at this passage, I'd like us to stand as we read this passage out of reverence for God's word. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. It says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and, tr and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. You may be seated. In the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at different portions of James chapter 4. In the first week, we looked at the, the whole idea of how self-centeredness and the evil desires of our fleshly desires impact the way we relate to others. Oftentimes in quarrels and fights and all different kinds of things, and it, it impacts how we relate to God when it comes to idolatry and, and the things that we, we set up as idols in our lives. And last week we looked at chapters 4, verses 7 through 12, and James talks about another area of self-centeredness, and that's how a lot of times we, we set ourselves up to be judge and we judge other people when God is the only judge. And he also calls us to repentance in that, that section, repentance and to, to submit ourselves to God. And, and Seth was talking a lot about how what true repentance really is and how it's, it's walking one way in sin and our fleshly desires and yet when we repent, we turn and walk back towards God and allow him to be master of our, of our lives. 
Now in this chapter, uh, the, the last section that we're going to be looking at today, James gives another example of our sinful nature and how it affects our approach to life and ultimately how it approaches our attitude towards God, the sovereign God, and his sovereign will. So the first, we're going to look at four different responses today of, of man's responses towards God and his, his sovereign will. Beginning in verse 13, we're going to see that the foolishness of God, excuse me, the foolishness of ignoring God, uh, ignoring God's will. It says this in, in verse 13, I'm going to reread it. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. It's an illustration that James is giving of a businessman who goes into town and and is going to make a profit. But notice the first two words that James says. He says, come now. And that that particular uh, phrase that he uses there means to listen up, pay attention to what I am saying. I don't know if you've ever had someone that wants to get your attention. I had a seventh grade science teacher and course, seventh graders, you know, we can kind of space off and you just kind of not know what's really going on and don't listen to your your, uh, instructor. Well, this particular seventh grade science teacher had a wooden meter stick. This is back in the early 70s. They could give, you know, corporal punishment and all that back in those days. But she would take that meter stick and to get people's attention, she would slap the desk when people were spacing off. And boy, it was just like you jumped three inches off your seat because you're so startled by that. But that's what James is doing here. He's saying, come now, pay attention. I want you to listen. I've got something really important for you to hear. And so he continues on in what he's, he's talking about here. He says, come now, uh, for today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Pretty confident talk, wouldn't you say? Pretty confident. I'm going to go to this town. I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to do it next year. For the next year, I'm going to have a certain kind of an operation or a business there, and I'm going to make a profit. All his plans are laid out very confidently. This kind of a plan, you have to ask yourself, is this, is this sinful to have this kind of planning? Is it unethical or wrong? No, it's not wrong. Scripture talks a lot about planning. Proverbs is full of of things. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, counsel, plans fail. Proverbs 16.9, The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. It's not not wrong to plan. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about uh, someone who goes out to battle and he needs to count the cost or think through the cost that it's going to be to have this particular battle. The attitude that James is exposing here is not in what the businessman is saying, it's what he doesn't say. He doesn't, it's what he leaves out. He's leaving God out of his plans. There's no mention of God here and his planning uh, as if God doesn't exist. This man is foolish, running his life without acknowledging God and his sovereignty. Think about it. How do you know? How do you know, us personally, how do you know what tomorrow is going to bring? We don't know. 
And so here's what James does. He, he, he talks about in verse 14, and I'm going to reread verse 14. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Even your life, uh, what, or excuse me, what is your life? For it, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So first of all, James, you know, he points out to the fact we don't know what tomorrow will bring. For goodness sakes, we don't even know what next week's going to bring. We don't know what next month or year is going to bring. How could we even know what tomorrow is going to bring? I like to think of, maybe give an illustration of a, a weather forecaster. If you watch the weather like most farmers do, uh, we watch it all the time. It's amazing how much they miss the forecast. Even the last few days said that we were going to have, you know, 70% chance of rain. Then it faded. There was nothing there. Didn't have a drop. You know, those kind of things. But think about my, my favorite thing, and I'm always amused by, of weather forecast in the wintertime says, hey, it's going to snow tomorrow. We're going to have 6 to 10 inches of snow. The wind's going to be blowing 35 miles an hour. There'll be blizzard conditions, and it's a sure thing. We've seen that before, haven't we? And you wait, well, that, that night before, when this weather forecaster, he gives this forecast, the night before, schools are starting to close down, the grocery shelves are getting attacked, and they're getting emptied in the grocery stores, and, you know, the guys with the big snow blowers in town, they're, you know, checking them out, making sure they're, you know, they're all excited that it's going to snow. The next morning comes, and we don't have a drop, not a drop, a flake of snow. Not a flake. Well, what happened, you know? This guy was so sure. That's how we are. Secure. Is this thing going on and off here? I just put new batteries in. We act so secure in our plans and think that we, that we have it all together. And just like the weatherman, we really don't have it together. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow for sure. Remember, that G, remember the parable that Jesus told the rich man in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20? He said this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this, I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store my grain and, and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? Yes, it is foolish to think that we know it is, uh, that we know all and ignore God in our planning. We don't know about tomorrow and what it will bring, but we do have someone who does know, and that's God. Think about some of these, these things. I was thinking about this, and as we were singing these songs this morning, a lot of these songs had to do with this. The, Psalm 147, verses 4 and 5 talk about his understanding is infinite. There's no limit to what he knows and understands. Job chapter 14, verse 5 he knows the exact number of days that you and I will physically live on the earth. He knows those things. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6 explains that before the world was established, he chose me and he knows me. Isn't that amazing that God, God knew before the world was formed, before the, the creation of all the universe, he knew me. 
He knows those kind of things. He is amazing in the things that he knows. He knew you and I before we were ever born, and before there was a word on my, uh, on my tongue, he knew what I was going to say. That's pretty amazing. He knows every hair on our head, and I won't make a bald joke right here, but he knows, he knows every hair on our head. He holds all things together. Jesus holds everything together. Think about the confidence that that brings us as believers to trust in a sovereign God who knows every detail of the universe and controls them all for his purpose. Think about that. And on top of that, he wants to make you and I a part of his purposes. If you and I ignore the will of God, it's foolishness because we can't control the future. But it's also because of foolishness, or it's also foolish because it leaves behind the very thing that gives purpose and meaning to life. The God of the universe is working on our behalf and wants us to be a part of it. How does understanding, uh, how does an understanding of God that is sovereign, how does that uh, make a difference in our daily lives? As you might imagine, farming takes a lot of planning. I'll give you just a couple thoughts. Here's your farming 101, agronomy 101. You got to know what seed you're going to use. You got to know what plots you're going to plant it on, what acres you're going to do. You have to know the seed population that you're going to put on that, that particular set of ground. You have to know things like the depth of the seed, how deep are you going to put it in the ground. You have to know the seed spacing. You have to know different things like the, the chemicals that you're going to use, the cost of all these things. Uh, you have to know, like you've seen a lot of airplanes flying by here lately, crop dusters. You got to know if you're going to put on fungicide or not. That keeps the, the, the uh, you know, a lot of the fungi, fungi from forming and helps your crop extend longer. All these things you got to think through. You got to plan. And it's foolishness to think that, well, I'm going to have a perfect crop this year because I did all the things right, you know. But that is ignoring God. That is really planning without thinking him through. As, look, as I look back on the last four years previous to this year, you know, if I would have thought, boy, I've got the perfect plan, going to have a perfect crop, well, God decided in 2019 to give us a flood. Elkhorn River Bottom, totally flooded for days upon days, lost a lot of acres to the flood, had anywhere from three to 18 inches of sand over 100 acres, you know, and you had to get all that sand off, off the ground. Didn't produce anything on that ground that year. 2020, had a drought. You know, I'm a, I'm a radar watcher, and the radar would show this, these clouds coming right towards Washington County, and what would happen? they would dissipate right when they got to the Elkhorn River and stop and wouldn't go any further into Washington County. Had a drought, 60% crop. 2021, in spite, of, in spite of very little rain, God gave us a record crop. It was a miracle. I'm, I'm serious. All the farmers in our area were just like, they couldn't believe it because we didn't have hardly any rain, but God gave us a record crop. 2022, another drought last year, 65% crop did all the right things, planted. If I were to leave God out of the equation when, we, when I plan, I would be, I would be going crazy. <laughs> you, you, just can't, you just can't do it. Think about your life. 
Can you afford to leave God out of your planning and thinking things through? Now, I'm not perfect when it comes to my trust and confidence in God. I fail often. But God is sovereign. And when I do place my trust and confidence in him and hold on to these truths about his character, it's possible to sleep at night. I don't have to have my mind churning about what if, what if the crops don't, what if they don't yield? What if they, you know, what's going to happen to the farm? What if I, what if there's a hailstorm? What if a tornado comes through and takes out the farm? Don't have to do that. But I can testify to you that by God's grace in those four years, even in the midst of just unpredictability, he provided in some amazing ways, totally unexpected ways. And we're still here, we're still farming today. So how about you? What kinds of what ifs are going through your mind? What kinds of things are you thinking about? Is it things like, what if I don't have enough money to pay this month's bills? What if it's, I don't know if I'm going to have a job or not next week. Boss has been talking about downsizing. What if it's uh, my marriage? What if my marriage fails? What if things just don't go right? Things are not going well right now. How about relationships like with your kids? What if my kids don't grow up to be these perfect, you know, godly people? What if? What if my health goes down and I don't have good health? All these things, guess what? He knows. He knows everything about us. He wants to lovingly take care of us. And he's going to bring things into our lives that are best because of his purpose and his will. Here's the, here's the key. That we as humans have limited and temporal lives. And he does things and will take care of us in the way he wants to do it. A verse that keeps coming to my mind and has been a theme in my mind is Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. First, we've said that it's foolishness to ignore God because we don't know the future. The second part comes out where James says uh, the, prob- the reason why we should not ignore uh, God is physical life is fragile. In verse uh, 14, he says, What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Us Midwesterners know you know, what, what a, you know, the, that vapor that comes out of your, uh, out of your mouth in the wintertime. I remember one, one really cold morning, I had a, a guy from Uganda visiting us. We were hosting him for the weekend and picked him up from the airport. And it was not too bad a weather. It was early February. And that night, a cold front came through. It's kind of like one of those that we've, you, you all know what they're like. And it, wind is blowing and the temperature dropped. And when, he, when we went out the next morning, it was five below zero, and he'd never experienced this before, and it's like, this poor guy. But out of his mouth, you know, he'd never seen this vapor coming out of his mouth. He was just really intrigued by that. But that's what life is about, that we are, not, we are nothing but a vapor on a cold morning that is here for a short time and then vanishes. Not one of us can say with certainty that uh, we will be back here next week uh, worshiping with each other. Not one of us knows 
And our lives could be snatched in a moment. It could be a car crash on the way home today. It could be a heart attack. It could be a house fire. It could be anything that happens this week. Our lives are fragile and temporary. And it's another ridiculous reason for, I mean, it's, it's, an, it's another way of saying don't be ridiculous and plan for the future without putting God in the middle of that future. I know many of you probably had experiences like I have. I've lost many people around me that, that I know uh, at, some, at very young ages. And, and yet God is still sovereign. I think about a guy at Kearney, 18 years, no, I think he was 19 years old, got leukemia while my wife and I were there uh, on crew staff. He got leukemia and passed. And I remember sitting at his bedside a couple days before he died. And, you know, just, just seeing this, this guy who was strong, he was, you know, just great health. In a very short time, he was just, as I was looking at him, he's just wasted away and died a very short time later. Or some friends uh, from Colorado Springs who had a daughter and a son-in-law. Son-in-law just finished med school, um, was doing his residency in the state of Washington. They'd been on a trip in, uh, that weekend and <clears throat> going home back through the mountains there. And semi lost his brakes. Car, car was hit, exploded, gone instantly in their middle 20s. Or another friend of mine, crew staff guy uh, here in the state of Nebraska, was under a, a, a mower, a, 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 a farm mower, and the jack slipped instantly dead. We think that we have it all together and we think we're going to live, live forever, but Jesus, or God says here that we are a vapor. We're here and we're gone. But you know what? I trust that God knows what he's doing. I trust that he is in control. You know what? If, if, if you, there might be some here this morning, you might be sitting here, thinking, you know, I've heard all this stuff before. I've heard that life is short and I've heard that Jesus, you know, died for my sins. I know, I know all that kind of stuff. But you might be thinking or have the attitude before I come to Christ, and before I put my faith in him to pay for my sins, I plan on living life just a little bit longer. I want to, there's a lot of things that I want to do before I begin to follow him and commit my, my heart to him. And I warn you, as James warns us here, it is foolish to ignore God, as God and his will. You don't know if you have another day. You don't know. And if, you, if your life were to be taken without making that decision, you don't have another chance to make it. It's, it's made here and now. So when it comes to our plans, first we've seen the first attitude is that James warns us about the foolishness of ignoring God and his will. The second response is found in, in verse 16, and that is of arrogance. It says this, as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. These individuals that he's talking about here are arrogantly defying God. Now, they, they might know God. They might consider, you know, that he has a will and that, that you know, he wants people to do things a certain, a certain way from his word. This one, this particular person differs from the first one in that he knows these things but he verbally denies it. He says, you know, 
I don't, I don't believe it. And he says, uh, it by his, also by his life, it's how he lives his life. He denies it. James says here, you boast, you speak loudly or you brag. Brash bragging about their cleverness and their skills. Look at me. Look at how I've gone to this town and I've made this profit. You know, look at, look at what I've done. That's a brash bragging. It's arrogant to God. Their plans are more important than God's will or God's plans. Take for example uh, the attitude within the American churches today as it relates to marriage, where there is a divorce rate that is just as high as, as those who are unchurched. And when believers walk down the aisle and make a covenant before the Lord, before their friends, their family, that they are going to cherish each other, they're making a covenant before God in those situations. And then there's a rough patch that happens in their marriage, a season that's really difficult, and they think, you know, I, you know, I think that I've got, my, this doesn't fit with my plans. I want to do something different. That is a, is a and, and God would say, that is an arrogant way of responding to his will. Another it might be the whole area of abortion. Abortion is, is one where people know, they know in, intrinsically that, value, that life has value, but the baby is going to be in, an inconvenience to them. And so they abort the baby. Another, another um, example there of just the arrogance. God says that it's evil. It's evil. First, we've seen the foolishness of ignoring God and his planning and his plan. And we've seen the arrogance of elevating our plans above God's. There's a third one. And that is disobedience. It says in verse 17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. This person knows that there's a God, knows that God has a will, and the difference is here, he knows that God's will is supreme. He knows that his will is not above God's will. This person also has a right understanding of what is right. He knows what's good, he knows what is moral, things that are worthy of honor. He knows what is right, and yet he, he, he disobeys. He sins, it says here. I don't know if you've ever seen Funniest Home Videos. It's probably one of my favorite Sunday night shows, but it, it, it has uh, a, um, a, there's been a series on there that really illustrates this attitude and that is of little toddlers that are sitting at a table and the parents put candy in front of them and say, don't eat this candy, don't eat it until I get back. I'm going to leave the room for just a little bit and I don't want you to eat it. And as you can imagine, the, the, the cameras on this little kid and the mom you know, takes off and goes down somewhere and off to the side. This little kid, you're seeing their, the wheels are just spinning in their head. And they, I see some of them where they, they grab it and they look at it and they put it down. Then they grab it again, they lick it and they put it down. Or one little kid just stuffed the marshmallow right in his mouth, <laughs> you know. But, it, you know, a lot of times we're just like that. We're just like those little kids. We know what is right. And yet we can be disobedient. We laugh at those kind of things and... Um, Yet, 
you know, think about, the, think about us. Maybe you're in an office setting at your work. Do you speak truth at your office even when it's not the popular sentiment of the rest of the crowd in the office? Do you speak truth? Do you know, you know what's right? Do you speak it out? Or do you, do you fill your mind with good things and godly thoughts rather than worldly thoughts? You know the difference. Do you obey? Are you obedient in that? Do you open your mouth to speak the gospel when you know that speak, you know, God does, demands that more than just living a life in front of people, which is good, but he wants us to open our mouths, to speak to our friends, our neighbors. Maybe it's our adult children or maybe it's our coworkers. God, or can God have a will? I want to just briefly hit this, this thought here. Or, or, what is, or can we know God's will is what I should say. God desires all people to be saved. 1 Timothy 2, 4. Another one is in Ephesians 5, verses 17 and 18. It says, understand what the will of the Lord is to be filled with the Spirit, he says. Be filled with the Spirit. 1 Thessalonians uh, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification to grow. God has a very specific will, and I could go on and on about his will. The place we find God's will is spending time in his word, and you will know God's will. You will know what is right. We've seen first three negative reactions to God and his will. The last one is in verse 15. It's an attitude of dependence upon God. Verse 15 said, says, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills is basically bringing God into your plans. It's bringing him into the middle of all the things that you're thinking and planning that you're going to be doing. If we, and he says there, uh, we will live. That is a trust and a confidence that every breath that I get to enjoy, every heartbeat that I am privileged to have is determined by a loving, loving God. He decides the length of my physical life, how long I will live and, eat, and when I will die. And I'm okay with that fact because he's God and I'm not. And I trust him. The second part of verse 15 says, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. And that's just a simply a, a recognition of, of, it's a recognition that God governs everything that I do. He governs things that I would consider successful when I do get good yields He would in, in things that I achieve. He governs those things, but he also governs things that I might consider a failure, like a crop failure or those kind of things. Anything that, that didn't seem like it went right. It's okay because I'm totally dependent upon him. How does this impact our daily lives? that kind of an attitude of dependence? Well, I think number one, it dissolves anxiousness. It banishes fear. It gets, it, it, like for instance, um, I know that whether, you know, let's say I'm driving um, my 15-year-old in a driving lesson in Omaha on Dodge, Dodge Street for the first time. And uh, I don't know, you know, if I'm gonna make it home alive. You don't have to clutch, and my wife always used to do the driving lessons, but she would clutch the hold of the, the door handle so hard it would put indentations in there. But we don't have to be anxious about that because God 
He's, he's, he determines the length of my life. He's the one who does that. He, he will take care of us. He determines those things. He determines whether or not I will get a promotion at my job or get fired at my job. He determines the, the outcome of my family relationships. He is sovereign in those things. And what that does is it just gives me a gratitude in my heart, just knowing that, wow, God, thank you for, thank you for giving me this. And what that does, when we say, when we tell God that we are thankful, it's expressing the fact that we are trusting in him. Best laid plans of mice and men might be better said this way. And I'm not a poet, but this is what I thought about. Best laid plans of mice and men are best made when depending upon God. The four responses that we've seen this morning are to God and his will are people sometimes ignore him. They can be arrogant. They can be disobedient or they can be dependent upon him. The three takeaways that I want to leave you with this morning. Number one is that God is serious about us, his created ones, submitting to his authority and his sovereignty. He's serious about that. And that's what James goes, that's why he's warning us here. Not to be fleshly, not to have those fleshly desires, especially in this example of when we plan and think through the future. As we've seen today, we, uh, we need to plan and do plan, can plan, but God has to be in the center of those plans. Number two, when I find myself ignoring God and his will or, ex- or arrogantly ex- exerting my will over his, am I quick to confess that self-centeredness and repent? think it's it's easy just to to let it go and not think about oh I don't want to think about it but no do you when you find yourself in that situation do you repent here's the third one am I at peace with the frailty of this physical life and knowing that it's a vapor do I have anxiety or do I trust in a loving God who cares and uh, for and, and sustains life and also takes it when it's his time. Am I at peace with that? Or am I anxious about that? So those are some of the takeaways. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning that we've had, just looking at James and just seeing, um, th- thinking about life. We don't know it. We, we are, the life is short, and uh, in all these things, I would ask for each one of us that we would express dependence upon you, not just, not just in our words, but that we would, in our hearts, be settled, that we are going to trust you and your sovereignty for all these things. Thank you for what we've seen. Teach us, mold us, sanctify us. In Jesus' name, amen.